0: Before I get to the message, it's uh, been amazing. 20 years, uh, you congratulate me for that. But I also want to say, that's because I have an amazing church. And the the love and the support and the partnership that you guys have offered to me and Amy has been phenomenal. It's a a rare and wonderful thing. It's a beautiful church. And it is a privilege to be able to serve you. So just as much as, as you get back to him very touched and moved by that know that amy and i and thomas too give thanks to god for you regularly uh, just an amazing amazing place so uh, with that we are a church we are god's people we are family and faith and uh, we want to make sure that we uh, are working with the lord and, and being obedient to him and uh, loving him as well that's one of the reasons why that we become the word and we have uh we talk about what does it say how does it apply and, and be able to try to follow that we, uh, a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And that's really what was at the heart of this series that we're starting today called The Four Gardens. Uh, You know, the Bible isn't just a... uh, It's not just a book of rules, which uh, a lot of people might think. It's it's not just a a book that has some good ideas about that. It's actually, uh, I think most profoundly, profoundly, it's a story. It's a true story, but it's a story nonetheless of us and God And a story of redemption. It's a story that helps us understand how everything comes into place. And in that, we do find uh, truths about how to live and what is good and what is right. We find wisdom and all those things. But if we fail to understand the story of Scripture, if we fail to understand God's love for us or what He has done for us, it's hard to to follow Him. And oftentimes, uh, I think oftentimes we, we get confused by that because we forget what God is doing. What's the bigger picture? And you know, this story, this scripture is like any good story. And I think really it's the basis, it's the meta story of every hero's journey. Is that it begins, it's really based upon what God has done for us in scripture. It's an amazing story. It has a beginning, it has a climax, it has a, a, a resolution uh, that we're looking forward to the end. And every one of those major points of that story, interestingly enough, happens in a garden. And that's why we're four gardens. <laughs> That's what we're going to be spending the next three weeks talking about. And today, we're going to, of course, start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. And in that, as we start at the beginning of the story, uh, we're going to discover some amazing things. Uh, Who are the major players? What is this kind of all about? How does the drama begin? And I think you'll find, by the time we get even to the end of today, when we discover in this first garden, the Garden of Eden, uh, really what the main struggle has been about. And it helps us, I think, to... Follow after Christ, I think, in a, in a deeper, more uh, grateful way. And so, if you wouldn't mind, give your Bibles. You open them to the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, and we'll let the story begin. In Genesis chapter one and uh, verse one, we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty darkness is over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And we find God is the very first character in, in this whole narrative. In fact, he's the most important And at the very end. a couple weeks ago, you find Jesse will be able to wrap this up about the final part. That God is the one that really it's all about. And it's the very beginning that God shows up. And he shows up not as a created being, but the one who brings order out of chaos. He brings stuff out of nothing. He reveals himself to be very, very different than anything that we can see or touch or taste or smell or hear. That's why we call him holy. That means different, special, set apart. Very fundamentally, God is exceedingly holy. And he has great power. He's not just natural. He has power over nature, which is why we would call him supernatural, above that. He was able to uh, create stuff out of nothing, create order out of nothing. Absolute chaos, and so we find that God doesn't just exist; but some of His characteristics and and who He is part of His His character in and of Himself. That God is an order giving, life giving entity. This is who He is, and He has a personality, and He has a purpose, and He has a design. And in the following verses, we'll find that there are three chapters in this beginning narrative this story were introduced. To the whole drama that we're all part of, and it starts. Of course, we, we introduce God, but then there's two other chapters. Chapter one of Genesis is kind of the big picture. What did God do? How did He make all of these things exist? And we find that there was an order to it in that first chapter. right, the first thing God does is He creates light, but I mean, He doesn't just create light; He creates the natural law. Right? He, he separates light from darkness. Before chaos is chaos. I can't even imagine like being like with darkness or how that would even be. But God created it in double order for creation. He creates time as well. So all the natural laws and everything that we see came from Him. Which means that God wasn't bound by natural law. When He created creation, He gave us the law. Just as He gave us the moral law. That God is in control of all things, natural and spiritual. And He goes on within that, that framework. He gives us the sky, and then he gives us the land and the seas, and then he gives us plants, and then he gives us the stars and the sun and the moon, right? And then he goes and he gives us creatures, the animals that go all over the earth. And then finally, God gives us people. And it's an amazing thing that we read about it. It says in verse 26, the chapter one, it says "Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the sky and over the livestock of all the wild animals and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, and the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And so we're introduced to the second, uh, most amazing, uh, the, the character in this great drama, humanity. And humanity being different than everything else that was created. Everything else that was created was spoken into existence. But once everything had been spoken into existence, God formed Adam out of the ground. And he, I mean, he formed us specifically and uniquely different. Not as something that reflects creation, but something that's made from creation. But something that reflects the creator. The amazing bridge or the amalgam he, he created us and breathed life into us. That he creates a, a unique being that has something that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be God's agents of creating and continuing the order that God brought into the world. To continue to have that authority to rule over the world. To, to make it good. And to continue the work that God has started as his agents. He made humans very good. And I love how it says he made them male and female in his image. That, that, that here at the very beginning where he just said that, that there is something amazing that, that about how we reflect God in, in our masculinity, in our femininity. That men and women have an equal reflective nature of who God is, though different. And they work together. It's an amazing thing. And so God creates us. We, we, we come together. And so chapter one then almost ends, and it says that he created rest because God is awesome. on the end of the chapter, we really see that there's a seventh day, beginning of chapter two, that God rests. And so he creates order even to our calendar, into our time, into life. And therefore we have this amazing sense of, of how we fit into creation. And chapter two it really zooms in and Talks about how humans are made. This second uh, portion of or the uh, characters of the great drama. There is God, and we see his nature, but then, yes, we see where we fall into creation that humans are unique, are different, are made in God's image. This is wonderful. But chapter two then kind of gives a little backstory, a little character development as to humans, as to what we're supposed to be and who, what we're supposed to do. And so in chapter 2, it begins, uh, verse 4, says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, right? And the Lord, uh, God made the heavens and the earth. are like, well, we just read that in chapter 1. Yeah. So now we're saying we're going back again. And we're going to zoom in to see this very specific thing that creation has a centerpiece, that humans have an important part of it, that part of the story. Not just the setting, which chapter 1 is, which everything plays out in the world, but also now you have the main character of this drama, the people. This is kind of what, what begins with what it's all about. And so it says now in the beginning that God, before He did all this other stuff, there wasn't really a garden or anything yet. It says in verse seven, it says that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and in man became a living being. hugely important because all of the other animals, everything else, was spoken into existence as part of nature. But God did something unique with people: is He crafted us out of the, the create the, the finished product of creation. Which is why humans represent all of creation. That's why we were given the opportunity to to have the authority over creation. So he made us out, of but he didn't just make us natural. Then he also brings spirit into us, which made us both natural and spiritual. Which is why people uniquely are subject to natural law and spiritual law. Right. This is why you know you can't just jump off a cliff and be like I'm flying. Right. Then you're going to fall. Natural law applies to it. But also why humans are subject to spiritual law. by morality it matters to humans. It's why like uh, you know we have pets and things like this. but pets don't do things that are morally egregious. They don't have prisons for dogs. Right. When, when when an animal does something that is that we would think naughty, it's because we don't want to do it, but they can't break. A spiritual law, they don't have, they're not spiritual beings. God created humans uniquely. There's a beautiful amount of nature and spirit and put us together. And so we have an affinity with both creation, but also with the creator himself, who is spirit, unique, amazing. And God created us with that amazing dual nature, both spirit and body. And it says, and then God put us somewhere to do something. Verse uh, uh, 8, it says, Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden. And he put the man there that he had formed. Now notice that God did something amazing with the garden too. That he planted it. Everything of all the nature was spoken into existence. All the plants existed because God said, Let there be plants. And then there were plants. But God planted, he actually formed a garden. Just like he formed people, he formed a garden. And there was a purpose to it. It was special. It was holy. And you think about the difference between a garden and just nature. And there, was, there was an order to this. There was a, a beauty to this. And God put man in the midst of the, the, the centerpiece of all of creation, the, the, the most important thing that he himself planted, that he himself ordered, that he himself designed. And he put us there to be able to take care of it. And in the middle of that garden God did something interesting. And it said that the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the garden. The trees that were pleasing the eye even for food. But in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says these were not sides, by, these were the very center. There's something really important about these two trees and we'll come back to them. But there's an important place why God put them in the very, very middle of the garden. Because these trees, we're going to set the stage for what this is all going to be about. So God put the trees there, and then in verse uh, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, "You you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And in that moment, God also, man, made people moral. He gave us a test, an opportunity to, to, to choose, to be obedient, and to follow him or to not. Right? He gave us an opportunity there. And I think that it was a pretty easy law. Uh, there's all these other great trees. Go for that. Everything is on is the table except this one thing. Don't do that. It's not like God was being mean. But he also was very clear. And if you do this, this will be the consequence. You have life, and you have access to the tree of life, but if you eat from this tree, you lose that. So stay away. And what happened? Well, nothing at first. Everything was good, except for Adam was lonely. He had paradise, but he didn't have a partner. And so God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He says, come need you to find a partner. So God said to Adam, Why don't you go through, I made all these wonderful animals, see if you can find a partner, a a companion, right? And we sometimes think uh, dogs are a man's best friend, but no, because Adam had a dog, and he's like, this is not my equal. Right? He needs something a little bit more, a little bit closer. So he brings all the animals and advocates to look at him and say, is this going to be my partner? No, so he got to name them, that's pretty cool. But there was no partner found, and so God did something totally unexpected. Verse 21. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So, he caused, he, caused the man's fall to a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then closed up the place of flesh. And the Lord God made the woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man What an amazing thing that God brought out of his absolute equal taken right from him. You can't get more equal than that same substance. Though different, but also equally made in God's image. To be a partner and a companion, not a competitor. And they're not the same, by the way. He didn't make a duplicate of Adam. He made a companion for him. when we see this, that that there is something amazing about how how the husband and wife come together to reflect this amazing image of God and his love. And so doing, that God also revealed that he made family, in a way, in his image. In fact, it says right after that, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother, and two are united and become one flesh. So in that moment, God didn't just create man and woman, he created family. And he created a special bond, something holy about that, which is why marriage is holy. It's something God designed, God made to reflect him. Why we treat it special. It's a unique kind of relationship. God made that. And everything was very good. Now, this is a nice beginning to the story. We have God, we have evil, everything is, is perfect, everything's running well, we have good work, we have good uh, relationships, we have all kinds of great stuff. And then we get drama. In verse 3, we get introduced to the third character. The serpent. In fact, this is the very first line there. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat from any tree of uh, the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it; you will certainly die." You will not certainly die," the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the third character in this great drama is the enemy. The serpent, he reveals himself here. We find later in scripture, we also know him as Satan. We know him as the devil, which in the original languages just means the adversary. Because God doesn't give him the dignity of even having a name. He gives Michael a name, the archangel. He gives Gabriel, the archangel, a name. But the devil and the serpents don't even get a name. They're just the adversary. Who cares? But they are bad. So, the serpent came in and... Mess things up, brought temptation. And notice how the serpent comes into this. It comes in as a friend, right? And the very first thing the serpent does is confuses intentionally God's command. Did God really say? Surely God wouldn't say this that you can't eat from any of these trees. That's a ridiculous thing to say. And that's one of the things that the serpent we find in his character, his nature. He likes to confuse. It's one of his. It's one of his calling cards. And he wanted to confuse a couple of things. The first one is to confuse what God's simple command was. Did he really say that? He knew that that wasn't what God said. But he wanted to throw Eve off of her game. And so she said, no, no, no. And she started out pretty good. Yeah, we can eat from any of these trees. God is good. He's not holding on to us. There's just this one tree that we can't eat from. We're not even supposed to touch it. We don't even talk about that. And all the rest are great. And then the devil begins to not only bring confusion... But then he also tends to see assassinate God's character. First thing he says is God's lying to you. He's holding down. God told me you you're going to certainly die if you touch that. You're not going to certainly die if you touch that. You don't have to trust God. He's got his own motives and agenda. They're not, they're not yours. And so to make Eve begin to question maybe is God really telling me the truth? And then, after he does that, what does he do is he appeals to selfishness. God knows that like if you eat from this tree, you're going to be like him. Your eyes are going to be open. No one's both good. Now that's, that's a pretty powerful thing. If we question if God really has our best interest, the next thing is if what's in my best interest. If God really is Holy holding out on me. just like God, and she wants to be like God. This seems to be in her best interest. To have she do, then she's like, hey, you should have some of this too, because that's how it works. But we, we walk in and sin, and we taste it, and it's sweet, and it's nice, and we see the oftentimes that the consequence isn't immediate, and we think, wow, this is fantastic, and we invite others into the fall, and Eve did this, and Adam ate it, and they both fell. And then the consequence comes. In fact, we find that the devil sometimes lies with the truth. Because it says that when they ate, their eyes then were opened, and they did know the difference between good and evil, and it wasn't good. He tricked them with truth, that God did know that when they ate, their eyes would be open. That's why it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that's not what they needed. Now, it's not that they didn't know the difference between right and wrong. Adam and Eve knew that it was wrong eating from that tree. The difference was is that God has the capacity to, to identify morality. And up until that point, Adam and Eve's understanding of morality was 100% based upon what God said was right and wrong. Their moral compass and God's lined up. But once this happened, their eyes opened, all of a sudden, their moral compass became untethered from God. What they would think is right and what God Death will come. But the first thing that they had to do is they had to be removed from the garden. That oh there were going to be consequences in life, there would be pain and child there there's going to be cha- pain, barriers, problems in the family, that work was going to be frustrating, and all those types of things that never happened before. Because now there was a broken. Humanity was untethered from God. And, and therefore, nature and super the, the natural world and supernatural world were not going to work with us like, we, like they did before. We had broken that. But God wasn't going to abandon us. But he also wasn't going to let us continue to have access to the garden. It says there right near the end of this this thing. It says, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And you think, well, that's kind of mean, God. But think about this. Did you know that Hitler thought he was moral? that that really bad people in this world really oftentimes think they're doing what is absolutely best. That's the problem. That's the sin. That's the poison of the tree of the knowledge of evil. That's that's what broke us. And if humans were allowed to live forever, this this wedge between us and God, wickedness would never have a constraint. So God limited. We couldn't have access to the tree so he kicked us out of Eden. And then, just to make sure you put come back, he put the cherubim with flaming swords to guard the way back to the tree of life. And that's how the story begins. And the story then turns into, it's a journey back to Eden. That's the story of Scripture. How does broken humanity set from this place, not worthy, nor would we want to have access to the tree of knowledge of good, or uh, tree of life. But how do we go back to that? How do we come back to God's original design? And that's really what the rest of the story is. But before we, we're going talk about the next couple of weeks, how we get there. But one thing I want to point out, and this is so important, to understand the story, you have to understand the two trees. Because this is the test, not just for Adam and Eve, but for each of us. There are two trees that lie before us. One is the tree of fidelity that gives us life. And that there is a way that we can have access to God, there's a way that we can live, to Him, that we can make the world operate in the way that's supposed to, and that's if we would choose to just trust God and obey Him. And He's good. But there's another tree, the tree of the knowledge, of good and evil. And that tree is. It's the tree of selfishness. It's the tree of doubting God. It's the tree of sin. It's the tree of saying, God's holding out on me. story, that's what it's all about. God recapturing and giving His people an opportunity to choose Him again. You're doubting his plan or his way or his morals or, or what he asks us to do resolve in your heart to just trust him if adam and eve would have just trusted him paradise would have been theirs but let me call you back to paradise let me call you back to the tree of life choose to trust god take the temptation don't follow your heart set that temptation aside choose faithfulness today. If it's a sin that you're living in, walk away from it. It's killing you. It may feel good for the moment, but it's killing you. Follow after Jesus on your connection from the backside. I've got some next steps for you, some ways that you can walk back to the tree of life. And the first one that you're going to see on there is to meditate on Isaiah 58. Read it. You're going to find some some real amazing things about how God calls us back to this amazing tree. The next thing is to reject. Now I've got a this acronym for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your life, there is some temptation that you're being you're being drawn to right now. Reject it. Make a stand. Resolve in your heart. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play the, the devil right now. He is the adversary. Say so I'm, I'm gonna reject this thing. And if you're gonna do that, let me know. Tell me pray for you because that's the hardest choice, the choice that true humanity off the beginning. The next thing you want to do is choose faithfulness. That's the other uh, tree. That's where life is found. Life is found. We are saved by God's grace. We are faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? And faith in full fullest of faithfulness, your, your fidelity to God. Right now, if there is something in your life that you're wondering, should I follow that or not, make that resolution. I'm going to choose not just to reject my own way, but I'm going to actively choose God's way in this. Best choice you could ever make. Something else I'm gonna ask you to do is pray for revival in a month. On Father's Day, we're gonna have a revival, and we've been praying for for a while. but some revival Wait, ministry called us a while back and said, "Can we come and do a revival for you?" And I had my mind like a big old fat guy in a, a tent on Friday, and it was be nasty. No, still so not It's gonna be <laughs> awesome. If it, you've been praying for revival, it's about to to bring the life of God in a greater way back into the church, and also to bring people into the kingdom. It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be several days long. It's going to be uh, Sunday, two services, one morning, evening, and evening services, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, revival only happens if God shows up. You're going to see some information on that yellow page that's in, here, in that bulletin we have for you. Pray for it Pray for God to show up so that not just we can choose life, but that we can bring life into this world, just like God created us to expand the garden, to work it, and therefore, He brought us to S. Park, bringing His order and His goodness and His love into this community. That's what revival is about. So I'm going to ask you, can you please begin praying that God will show up and prepare not just your heart, but the hearts of this community and our church so that we can his goodness begin to grow into flourish so there are, there are several things that I'm asking you make something else, the Holy Spirit so I do do what the Holy Spirit ask you to do tell me what it is I am your shepherd one of them I love to pray for like you if you're here this morning though and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior he is the tree of life we're going to talk about that next week but don't wait why walk in darkness any longer why continue to live in death choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Thank you. Can, you can place your faith in Him. You believe. You confess. You repent. You baptize. It's important for you. Who are a uh, disciples in the church. All these ways of expressing faith. You need to begin that journey. If that's you, then today, before you leave, come on. Or any one of the elders that you saw here praying for me. And we will help you begin that most amazing journey so that you too can be part of this incredible story, the story of God's redemption. So, hopefully I gave you time to think about the commitment you'd like to make. Please write it on this connection card. If you have a prayer request, please write that down as well. In a moment, we're going to take our offering. Please drop these in the offering basket as they are fast. We pray for you as we make our commitments before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your love and your mercy. Father, we thank you that you've created us in perfection, that you didn't create a world that was chaotic, that you created a world that can work, that makes sense, that was perfect and beautiful and wonderful. If you describe only a paradise, and that's that's who you are. You are a good like you can And Lord, we have confessed and we admit readily that we have done things that are right in our own eyes. We have sinned against you massively, and yet... You didn't give us what we deserved. You gave us a savior. So, Father, today I pray that you give us the, the, just the mind to be able to choose to follow you—a mind of faithfulness, a mind to turn away from just our own understanding of what is right and wrong, and choose you. Father, for those that are here today that are struggling with doubt or are struggling with, with uh, any type of uh, temptation, Father, that you, your Holy Spirit would give them strength and ability to overcome that and choose you. Father, I pray that your life would be evident in each one of us as your church. And Lord, if you prepare for what you're going to do next year, God, of a great revival. Father, prepare us for that. Take these commitments that we made, Father. Draw us closer to you. Father, take our tithes and our offerings. Build your church in your glory. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus, the real tree of life. Amen. Amen.